Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. All right. Last Sunday, we looked at the first part uh, of the call to relationship. Remember, we started a couple weeks ago in the story of Samuel. We're doing a series called Where Do We Grow From Here? And so we looked at uh, the three calls, the call to relationship, the call to mission, and the call to renewed worship and vision. And so today we're going to do the second part of the call to relationship. And we said that the call to relationship primarily is uh, our entrance into the Christian community, our being incorporated, believing, receiving Christ. And then our relationship with God is then not only maintained, but grows and goes deeper through the practices of spiritual formation that we do both in church and at home, in public and in private. Uh, we, and we talked about prayer and how we need robust personal and corporate prayer. We talked about fasting and how that's done uh, with prayer and how we shouldn't get legalistic about it. And then we also talked about giving. We talked about how it's not enough to give once a year to be a member. We talked about it's not enough to trust that endowments and stuff is going to keep uh, to keep us going. And we talked about how it's not just enough to survive, but we need to uh, we need to thrive. So now we turn to part two of the culture relationship, the relationship that we have with one another. It's not enough to have a stay-at-home relationship where it's just me and Jesus. Scripture doesn't really know much of privatized religious devotion that's divorced from the gathering of the church. So last week I said when a group of Christians get together, there's going to be disagreements and there's going to be fights. That's pretty, that's pretty much self-evident, right? And I'm sure that there's many of you sitting there thinking about specific instances where you had a blowout or a disagreement or maybe just a minor, uh, a minor irritation, maybe because we all here love each other so much. I know that none of us have ever been angry at any of each other here, that we've all walked in perfect love. We've never lost our tempers. We've never been short with one another. We've never... <laughs> okay. I know that's not none of us here. It's just it's for the people listening to the podcast, right? It's for the people listening to the podcast, not for us. Sometimes it can be humorous, right? And we should be, and that's the thing. We should be able to laugh about these things. You know, we should be able to talk about these things without getting angry. And sometimes it can be humorous. And sometimes people leave over or get offended over really small things. And oftentimes small things turn into big things. Sometimes people hold in offenses that. Other people didn't know were being held against them. And these offenses grow and grow and grow until they spill out. In his letter to the Corinthians, St. Paul was dealing with a lot of issues. A lot of issues. It makes some issues that happen in church nowadays kind of seem kind of mild by comparison, right? There was people in the Corinthian church who said, uh, well, I'm of Paul. In other words, Paul's my guy. I follow his teaching. And then some people said, no, I'm of Apollos. He's my guy. I follow his teaching. And then some people said, well, I'm of Peter. I follow Peter and his teaching. And then there were a group of people who were like, I'm going to one-up everybody by saying, well, you know, I follow Jesus. And Jesus trumps Apollos and Peter and Paul. And there was jockeying for position and, and arguments over spiritual gifts and whose gifts were better. Are the people whose gifts are exercised in public, are they better than the people whose gifts are exercised behind closed doors? 
it say Paul has a lot to deal with, so much so that he wrote a few letters to them about it. And in this portion here, we hear about uh, food offered to idols. He says, not all possess his knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in the idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So let's just do a little bit of background before we... we we dive into the rest of what we're going to be talking about today. So you might be sitting there thinking, well, what's the big deal? They're Christians. They believe in Jesus. What's the big deal about food sacrifice to idols? There's a lot of ink has been spilled over this. And if you're interested, I can give you a couple of book titles about the Corinthian church after, after the service. But uh, food sacrifice to idols, sometimes this, this was food that was offered, meat in particular, that were offered to idols in the temple where the idols were, kind of as part of a religious ceremony. So eating the, the meat offered to the idol would be kind of part of the religious ceremony. And so there are people who are Christians who used to go and worship the idols in the temple, who would then still go into the temple to eat this food that's been offered to idols. And St. Paul says, well, some people, yeah, it's fine. They know that there's no such thing as an idol, but maybe there's somebody who came from that, who sees you entering that temple to eat that food, and they're weak. You, by you doing that, you are destroying them. Now, he, what he's, he's not saying here, what he's not saying here is he's not saying don't do things that might make people angry. He's not saying... Um, how do I put this? You know, he's not saying don't do something that somebody will look, it'll make somebody else look down on you. What he's saying is don't do things that will actually contribute to the destruction of your brother or sister's faith in Christ. Okay. So there's this question is eating this food participation in the worship of false gods and that's a big question for this community some said no saint paul agreed because he writes that the gods of the gentiles are demons they're not actual they're not gods but some christians may not have this knowledge so they're scandalized and turned back to sinning because of what they've witnessed so paul says something very sobering here he says sinning against your brothers and sisters and wounding their conscience when it is weak he doesn't say, you, he says, you sin against Christ. You sin against Christ. Now, this is, this is an important, this is heavy. Because remember, when Saul, before, well, before he, his, well, Paul is his you know, Roman name, Saul is his Hebrew name, okay? So when he is, in, when, when we see him in the book of Acts, he's on the road to Damascus. What's he going there to do? He's going there to persecute Christians. He's going to arrest them and throw them in jail. That's his goal. He has letters from the, from the religious authorities that I'm going to be able to do this. So what happens on the way to Damascus? Jesus appears before him and just backhands him. And, you know, I, that's how I picture it anyway, the Michael Lansman version. Jesus, like, backhands him and he falls off his horse and he's blinded. And, and, and what does Jesus say to him? He says, Saul, Saul. He doesn't say, why are you persecuting these people? What does he say? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Which should make us then think years later when he's writing to the Corinthians, what, has, what does he call them? 
He says, you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. So St. Paul links the way we treat our brothers and sisters in the church to how we are treating our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the way that we navigate through all of this is through the rule of love, of Christ-like love. And we have that chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 where St. Paul, right in the middle of talking about spiritual gifts, it almost seems like a disconnect because in chapter 12, he's like, okay, this is the, the, and we read it when we had the ordination of Tara as a deacon and when we called up the new members of the consistory and we prayed over them. We talked about the spirit is given to each person for the good of the church. And to one is given this gift and to one is given another gift, but it's all the same spirit that energizes it and it's all from the same it's all from the same Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then he stops that conversation in chapter 13. Love is this. Love is not puffed up. Though I have, he says, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a clanging gong, right? If I, if I gave all my goods away to the poor and delivered my body to be burned, and if I did not have love, it would profit me nothing. It's interesting that right in between this conversation about spiritual gifts, he summarizes what Christ-like love is. And that, brothers and sisters, for us, is something that can help us navigate what it means to live in relationship with one another. One of those calls that we saw, the call to relationship with one another. And so we are called to show that same love to each other that Christ showed to us. And he loved us so much, Scripture says, in this God shows his love for us, and when, in that we were sinners, Christ died for us. So we are called to pour out our own lives for one another. So how do we as a group then form these connections that love then forges between us? I think there's a couple of things we can, can realize that will help us navigate this. Because this is messy. <laughs> this is part of the nitty-gritty. This is what it means to, to come together as we gather as a church. Is we're all different people. We all have different experiences. We all come from different backgrounds. Many of us have even different religious backgrounds. Some of you came from the Roman Catholic Church. Some of you came from not really having any faith. Some of you came from another denomination. I come from, uh, from the Pentecostal movement back when I was younger. We all have different experiences, we all have different backgrounds, but we can all still come together in love, united around a common purpose and a common vision to advance the work of the kingdom of God. So one of the ways that I think we f- that love is forged among us is we, we realize that the church doesn't exist necessarily for me as an individual. Now this is a hard one for a lot of us because we're so hardwired by our culture Right? The great myth of America is you can make it on your own if you just work hard enough. Right? And to some degree that's true, but there's also to a, a, some degree that that's not true. We need one another. And so that means when we come together, even in worship, we need one another. I think it's in, it's, I think it's in maybe Galatians? where it says, bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear each other's burdens, right? So it's not just about me as an individual. It's about us as the body. It's about us as the body. And then I think we have to realize that the church can't necessarily cater to every single person's desires. 
Last week, we talked a little bit about programs. We talked about how programs are good, but programs are not the end-all, be-all of church life. And programs aren't necessarily the guarantee of success or failure. And we also said how it's impossible for programs to meet every single need of every single demographic, of every single area, of every single person. Right? We can't cater to every single person's desires. That's why what happens when we come here is we lay our desires down before Christ, right? We lay our desires down before him and, he, and we say, what are you asking us to do together? We also have to remember just because things were done in a certain way in the past, it doesn't mean that it has to keep being done that way. And then we also have to remember that just because there are changes, we have to realize that changes don't mean that somebody is intentionally being devalued or overlooked, I remember when I was, I worked, God forgive me, I'm confessing my sins before you, okay? I, I used to work for a timeshare company. Sorry, I'm so sorry. I, I'll take it by all those booze, you all have bought one, so I'm sorry. If I were like Zacchaeus and I had it all, I would give it back to you in and, and, and like, what, seven times, seven times more. I used to work for a timeshare company, and I guess I have this going for me. I wasn't a salesman. So I had that. But what I did was I was managing a department. And I was, it, was, it was the tour department at, a, at one of the resorts there. And so our job was to give the, the salesmen, to give them the people who would come in. Like we put their information on paper, and then they would take and do the presentation. So I was in charge of all the people that would bring people in from outside. And so when I went to that department, they sent me there to kind of like fix things because things weren't going well there. And we were doing really well at another resort, so they sent me there to fix, to fix it. So like I came, in, I, I came in like a wrecking ball, right? I was like, that's it. You know, you all, you're all terrible. And I fired this one, and I promoted this other one, and I caused a lot of problems. I caused a lot of strife. And I realized many, many, many years later, I learned some valuable lessons from that experience, some very, very valuable lessons from that experience. And a lot of that has to do with Oftentimes, even though we're, we're, we're doing something good and we're doing something we're supposed to be doing, when we don't take the time to be thoughtful about it, when we don't take the time to, to have other people's feelings in consideration for the things that we say and the things that we do, we often can then cause offense and cause problems, even though that's not what we were intending to do. Does that make sense to everybody? All right, I'll take that silence as a yes. <laughs> I told you, I used to be Pentecostal, you know, so if you want to break out with an amen every once in a while, it'll make me feel good. (laughs) I love you so much. I love you so... We've been married for three years. I know it's you. And I've known you for a lot longer. I know your voice. So... Thank you for breaking my train of thought, too. So sometimes leadership in different organizations does things that can be offensive or can hurt people. And we are in the business of, of not hurting people. We as the church are in the business of, of, being re- of helping people being reconciled to God. St. Paul calls us ambassadors. He says, through you, right, through you, God is making his appeal to the world, 
right? Through Dominic, God is making the appeal to the world, be reconciled to God. Through Emily, God is speaking, saying, through you, you are saying to the world, be reconciled to God. Through Riley, God is saying, through Riley, be reconciled to God. Even through Isaac, even though he can't talk yet. <laughs> that, was, that was his amen. God is making his appeal through us. And we do that in love. So we also have to realize that the glue then that binds us together as a church is Jesus Christ. Right? The glue that binds us isn't an event. It's not a particular group. It's not a particular individual. The glue that joins us together is, like, is Jesus Christ. Right? It's not Apollos like in 1 Corinthians. It's not Peter. It's not Paul. What binds them together, Paul says, is Jesus. Is Jesus. We have all had the common experience of being once outside the people of faith who have now been brought into the people of faith. We are all a, a group of people who have had the experience of being dead in our sins, Scripture says, and then we have had the experience of our sins being forgiven and being restored into relationship with God. We've all had that common experience. And that, brothers and sisters, is what binds us. We all have stories. Like, as we all have our experiences and our, and our different backgrounds, we all have a story. It's going to be different for everyone. But we have a story of when we were dead and then when God made us alive. Because that's what Scripture says what happens when we come into the faith, that we go from death to life. And no matter, some of us have had harder experiences than others. Some of us, like me, grew up in the church all of our lives. Some of us didn't. Some of us had really rough backgrounds. Really rough backgrounds. I did a funeral, what, two weeks ago now, for somebody who had come into the church, not this church, but another one, many years ago, and left the faith and, and had a very hard life. And at the end of his life, before he was dying, he was sorrowful uh, over the, some of the things that he did and, and wondered if God could forgive him. And so I went to his home and read him scripture and encouraged him that there's no one who's beyond the love of God. No one who is beyond the love of God. And God was able to use me, and God was able to, to bring him a little bit of peace before he passed. Because we're, there's nobody who's outside the love of God. There's nobody whom God has not set his love upon. And so, brothers and sisters, that's especially true even for us as we gather here. That we have all had that experience of, ex uh, of receiving that love. And so part of our mission and the glue that binds us together is, okay, we've had that common experience of receiving that love. We've had that common experience about being renewed and being made new in Christ. Now, how do we then take what we've been given and then share that with somebody else? How do we then tell somebody else, be reconciled to God? That is the glue that binds us together. And this then should lead us to greater unity as we see God at work. And then we should also realize then that division is sinning against Christ. This is serious. This is a serious problem in Corinth, and it's a serious problem, problem now, in general, I'm saying. So how then do we stifle division? Well, we stifle division by stifling offenses. So I think one of the ways that we can do this is understand oftentimes that in church, people don't always mean to offend. 
I'm going to get, can I get super personal with you for a second? Okay, good. My wife is gone, so I can say this. <laughs> she can't hear me. So for, for me, part of the, the, the marriage growth process, right, has been sometimes she said something, and in the past I took it as a challenge or as something cutting. And then that would make me angry, and then I would say something, and we would have fights for no reason. But one of the things that helped me was when I started seeing that she say, just because she says something doesn't mean she said it the way that I'm interpreting it as. And then when I stopped and asked, hey, what do, you, what do you mean? It was, oh, no, I was just saying to do that. Oh, well, okay. And once I had that realization, it made things a lot easier for me because I, I realized that I was, the one who was attaching offense to what was being said wasn't her, it was me. Now, I'm not saying that people don't purposefully cause offense. That's true. People do purposefully cause offense. But what I'm saying is, Especially here, brothers and sisters, us gathered together. I certainly don't mean any on purpose. And honestly, the only thing that should really offend us is the scandalous message of the gospel, of God's love for humanity. So I'm going to say this. As a group, right, as Zionstone Church, if something is said by me or by somebody in leadership and it offends you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do this, okay? Let's all covenant together and do this. If I say something or somebody else here says something that offends you, don't sit on it. Come see me. I have office hours for a reason. My email address and phone number are available to every single person sitting here. If somebody does or says something here from, from the pulpit that offends you, talk to us. Talk to me. Okay? That's an easy way to short-circuit a lot of stuff that builds up and builds up in people. Because I've been a part of organizations and I've worked for places where offenses piled up and piled up and piled up until they exploded. And I don't want that to happen to us, brothers and sisters. So if I ever say anything that offends you, Please, come talk to me about it. Let's not sit on things. Let's, <laughs> let's communicate. Right? Let's communicate with one another. What does Scripture tell us also in the Gospel? I think it's Matthew 18. If your brother or sister offends you, what does it say to do? It says to go home and talk about them for three years. <laughs> and then shoot them evil looks all the time. No, it says if your brother or sister offends you, go to that person and, and what? And talk to them. And if they don't hear you, then bring somebody else and go again, right? Communication. Why? 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 Because we're united together to do the work of God. That's why. And you know what? You don't even have to, you don't have to, we don't even have to like one another, but we have to love one another, right? And real, we have to realize we're not building our own little kingdom. We are working for God as he builds his. And as we go through, we'll be talking about vision and mission and core values and, and how these are going to guide our church as we seek to grow into our next period of life. And we, as we start to ask this question, what are we living for? Because the church is not a social club, brothers and sisters. We are not a social club. And so as we ask these questions about vision and mission and values, 
that will then shape what we do and what we value and what we aspire to become. And so if we let our individual areas of responsibility, if we let those things dominate us, then our focus becomes lopsided and we become ineffective and we wind up hamstringing other areas that may need growth or care. And I think one of the things that we need to remember is we don't exist just to join for worship on Sunday mornings. We exist so spiritual formation that we participate in on Sunday mornings, how that shapes how we live and how it shapes who we are. And then we exist so that when we all leave from worship, excited about what God has done for us and what he's done in us, we can then share that with others. We exist, brothers and sisters, to serve. We exist to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we exist to serve one another, and we exist to serve those outside of our walls to whom God has sent us and to whom God is sending us. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the glue who binds us all together as we pursue him, as we love him, and share his love with each other and with the world. Be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Mike Landsman. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ. You know, we have deep roots here in the local community, and our history is fascinating in that we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're interested in worship that is traditionally grounded and scripturally faithful, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionstoneucc.com, or you can look us up on Facebook, zionstoneucc. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at malandsman at gmail.com. Again, God bless you. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope to have you visit our church in the near future.